have such an exciting episode for you guys today. Joining myself and Ariel is none other than Bill Gibbergizion, the director of The Stylist, which is out on video on demand now on, or on the Arrow streaming service. And you've already heard us talk about it, so you know that we think you need to see this ASAP. And she is kind enough to join us today. Uh, so thank you so much, Jill, for joining us and letting us geek out with you a little bit over your new movie. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm always geeked out to hear anyone that likes it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, we really enjoyed it. And we could tell watching it that the stylist was obviously a huge labor of love for you. Now that it's out and people are finally able to watch it and enjoy it, what has that response been like? How has it felt? It it still feels honestly like just so surreal that I have to remind myself that it's actually happening. Um, it's just like the most exciting thing because we've been trying to make this film for so long and it started as a short film that right. we actually shot like as way back in 2015. So it's weird. It's, it's like a long journey and it feels really fast in another sense. Like it's fast, but once we decided to make the feature, it was just like, almost not even two years ago and we've already the movie's already out wow so, so it's it's been really exciting and just such a also very unique experience because so much of it's been virtual like our, a lot of right. our premieres but thanks to social media we still s see the reactions and it's been awesome like awesomely exciting oh that's so nice i'm so glad to hear that yeah that's really great especially since social media can be a really tricky space so yeah. for you to have, you know, done so much of this virtually and to have such a great response has got to be really great. So we're obviously huge fans of women directors here, specifically women horror directors. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe what drew you to the genre and specifically? Yeah, I don't even know where to begin. I was, I've always been a fan of the feeling of being scared is kind of where it started. You know, as a little kid, I like to play any like, game that was kind of scary like or make anything scary by you know playing it at night outside like hiding those seek or whatever um <laughs> i just remember when i discovered scary stories like literally scary stories to tell in the dark that book as a kid is kind of like yeah. i feel like my first has got to be my first intro to like truly like like scary storytelling and yeah and then discovered you know like films later Way too young, which I think is was good for me, but <laughs> we can identify insane with to yeah. look back on. Like I was watching some of this stuff at like ten years old, like what? right. <laughs> um, but I, I equally always loved really sad films too. Oh, so oh, interesting. Interesting. At, as far as like a, a fan of of film and storytelling, I like both things. I like kind of went things combined and you don't really know where to put them and they're more just so like disturbing and upsetting than they are anything else <laughs> and yeah. um yeah. that's like some of my favorite stuff and so I've always loved horror because it's all you know it's a genre that it's confrontational like it it's not just a passing thing to watch and so and I love that it's a way that we can talk about heavier stuff in a in a somewhat lighter way that sounds weird because it's not light but you know without just saying this is what we're talking about and so yeah I've 
I think with the stylus, you could probably kind of see I was trying to combine my love of horror and sad together. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that is definitely evident. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you were saying that, I was like, aha. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I see the DNA of both of those things in this movie. <laughs> this sounds so morbid, but like, I remember very little, like five, maybe five years old, knowing that I specifically loved that a movie could make me cry. And like thinking, oh. like I was so excited by that, and like I wanted to find more movies that could do that to me. Like I was amazed by the power of that. Yeah, um, yeah. But like as a little kid, I'm like, let's. I want to cry. Let's find a, a movie to watch. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. interesting. <laughs> Super morbid. You must have had very popular slumber parties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if like, I put everyone else the through it. And then the Deer Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when Rachel and I were talking about the movie yesterday, we sort of realized that we don't know of any other horror movies that were created about a hairstylist. So how did you come up with the concept for a hairstylist? And did it come to you while you were actually cutting people's hair? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it came, the idea started oh, even earlier so long ago I think I first wrote stuff down about it in like 2013 and I think I was inspired to think that way because I had read Robert Rodriguez book how to rebel without a crew um which is like a any like starting out filmmaker should read that book um but he talks about kind of the I feel like a great a way to approach independent filmmaking when you really don't have any money and um, to think like, what do you have access to that's unique oh. as far as locations or props or anything or, or knowledge or anything that you know, that's different, but especially like locations and things I learned early on that that can make your film look like you had a way bigger budget. It just, it, makes the whole thing look bigger the production sure. value yeah versus like just shooting in someone's you know white walled apartment it's all about like it's 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 more expensive to to build the background from nothing than it is to find something really cool that you just need to add some stuff to um, right so a lot of it was like i am a hairstylist how does this not already exist like a slasher movie about a hairstylist yeah. and i was like well i have Tons of friends that work in all like I could so many different types of salons I could choose from and this is something I know and I felt like I could write it really personally and then and I wanted other hairstylists to feel represented and be able to watch it and know that a hairstylist made it and just went down that path. It's like Sweeney Todd is like the only thing you can kind of compare it to. Right. Yeah, that's true. Even yeah. out of horror, there's like no movie about a hairstylist, I don't think. And really, huh? But yeah, it was just because it was my life really simply at the beginning and then realized there were so many things to, 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 to use that world in ways that have never been seen in film, like the relationships between clients and hairstylists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I realized the problems right. with it, like shooting a salon uh, tech is, from a producer point of view, is a nightmare. Like the continuity of the background, there's like uh-huh. five hairstylists doing different things, and we want it to all match <laughs> I up. I never even thought of that. <laughs> I realized that when planning out this like scene when Bria's character Olivia comes to like do this practice hairstyle, it's like, 
got three different hairstyles in the background. All the action needs to match up every time we move the camera. What the hell oh, was geez. I thinking doing? <laughs> oh, geez. Like, this is why they don't make movies about doing hair. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I have to say when I, when I kind of, uh, you know, first saw the concept, I was like, oh my God, you're right. How is there not something like this? Because you do have this intimate experience with them where this person's touching you and seeing parts of your head that you don't even see. And they also were wielding very sharp weapons near your face. How is this not a thing? Something else that really spoke to me throughout this was just what a female story this is and how this resonated in so many ways. And one of them was just sort of that hairdresser experience. Yeah. I really identified with that. I could tell that this was storytelling by a woman because there was an authenticity to the subtle details. Even just having someone who actually knew how to section hair blended authenticities to those scenes for me. I was geeked out about making sure we could make it as true to how hair is done as possible while <laughs> Najara, our lead actress Najara Townsend is not a professional hairstylist. Right. But she did spend like five months probably with a, a mannequin head, which is what like we use in cosmetology school. Right. Like just, just kind of like blow drying it regularly, just getting used to being behind someone's hair like that. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because that's like second nature once you're a hairstylist, the way you just like touch someone's hair while you talk to them. And Mm -hmm. um, we wanted that to be as real as possible. While I know that's not, it's not the same as someone who's been doing it for like over 10 years. It's impossible. So uh, we actually have like our our production designer, Sarah Sharp. She's a cosmetologist too. And she is, it's her hands and all the extreme close-ups. I like to tell them of like the blow, like blow drying and, and washing and cur- anything where it's like only like extremely close is someone else's hands because we needed it to look like we've been doing this for 20 years you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. or at that's least so like because i never could tell that it was somebody yeah. else that's i great. did not know that's great so one of the things that we love to see in in horror movies is obviously practical effects we're nerds for that and the stylist has some really great ones <laughs> i mean that opening scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what made you decide to go that route and maybe a little bit about your experiences directing these scenes? Yeah. Um, yeah, I love practical effects and like we don't even consider really anything else when we're doing this kind of stuff. Great. Um, great. I think, that, well, first of all, I there's no way I have the budget to pay someone to do like a, a scalping effect. It would be, I can't even, although the the remake, (laughs) the remake of Maniac, I feel like they're all practical, they're all digital and they look pretty good, but they're, Mm -hmm. they look pretty not practical. Um, But, uh, I mean, this, talking about the scalping isn't spoilery for me because that's like what she, what she does, that's her thing. But um, she, it's a complicated effect to build because of the I guess this is any any effect you build for an actor, you have to cast them ahead of time. But this is more complicated in the fact that I had to like think of it, can I we find a wig that will match this oh, person's hair? We're not yeah. we're not we don't have like a a you know commercial budget where we can pay you know buy like a five million dollar wig or have our actors color their hair unless they wanted to you know, already. Um, right. To match a wig or whatever the case is. And so it's a very complicated ordeal. I even had the actress in that opening scene, her name is Jennifer Seward, meet me at a wig shop 
because her hair is natural oh. it's not colored at all so it has dimension in it that mm. you know when your hair is colored it's easier to match because wigs are more flat and sure oh, that's but interesting yeah but with hers it's like i feel really a matter of the lighting and stuff because the wig was not a perfect match <laughs> but um <laughs> movie magic <laughs> it, it's stressful as far as when it comes down to like shooting those days because they're like the most exciting days and the most stressful because you don't know what's going to happen until you until you say action and then start to do whatever it is you don't know if it's going to like you know land where it's supposed to or pull off the right. way you hope it's going to right and it was actually right. we had like a, actually a lot of challenges with our effects but yet yet somehow I, they edit together and look gnarly as hell and you can't tell they that sure we had did. challenges but <laughs> like the short yeah. film the short film the scalping went so perfect that we knew there's no way that's going to ever happen again and we were so nervous oh, about the feature because no. <laughs> we pretty much tried to we pretty much redid this affect the exact same way in that opening scene uh-huh and it was just it was definitely more challenging but it was like we should have known that was definitely gonna happen <laughs> it was like a miracle in the short but it's so fun and it we work with this woman named colleen kaufman she i've worked with her on everything i've made and she has a unique like she kind of brought together two different talents because she does lots of special effects but she also does like she works on ballets and she does wig work oh, wow. and so she got to kind of combine like her wig work with gore and turn it into one thing wow um, <laughs> that's great there's a lot of fun and then with the movie you know with each kill or violent moment we ex we you know we showed off something different with the effects versus like yeah. just redoing a scalping every time to not uh -huh. but it was fun to like with each one, we intentionally got gorier and messier, and that's kind of relates to Claire's journey emotionally. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it it was yeah. so much fun, but also yes, stressful days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's I like that, but it turned out so well. They're so impressive, and the sound design with them, yes, is thank you, very creepy. <laughs> that's what honestly the, the sells it. In it the makes yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes it feel real, and it definitely makes you squirm in your seat. <laughs> Yeah, like when you get the wet tearing sounds, like, yeah. Whoa. So We're like with our sound <laughs> team, like louder, push that further, as disgusting as it can possibly sound. <laughs> well, it was a wise choice. It worked on me definitely. <laughs> so, we read in an interview that you originally envisioned Claire as being kind of like a female Leatherface. So, what did you add or take away from that character? of Leatherface to make them a woman. Was there anything that changed for you while you were writing? Well, I I just I thought of the connection in the sense of when I first picture or when I first picturing this concept, I imagined her Claire in this room which became like her basement in the movie like this mm -hmm. this like you know like this trope that I feel like Every serial killer has their like their lair, their room yes. where they're, all their like trophies yeah. are. Even though I, it's interesting, I, we never see Leatherface's in in the original movie. It's like clearly it exists in my brains. <laughs> like he has a room <laughs> with all his like faces on sitting on things, but we never see that. There's a there's actually an outtake scene of him like doing his makeup in a mirror. That's incredible. I don't oh, know why really? it's not. In the movie. I don't think oh. I've ever seen that. Where you get to see him either. like transform into another, you know, another one oh. of his masks. And that's very cool. But 
I just when I pictured that I was like it's a lot like Leatherface to me in that like when she wears these scalps she's enveloping that that victim's personality she's like completely disassociating from herself I think Leatherface mm-hmm. is a way more extreme version like he's never himself he's always right wearing one of the masks so he's always acting like whoever that is like you know he he changes for the dinner scene in the original, puts on like the female mask and kind of turns yeah. into the mother character. And I like how you see him change and he's, he's, he or whatever. He doesn't have an identity really of his own at all. Um, and I think Claire's is kind of, when she is Claire, it's very, you know, it's like a put together thing. It's not who, we, we don't really know what she's like either. Yeah. Um, but it's really just that connection that they, the identity and hiding under skin. Yeah, that um, makes so much sense. We were calling it the extreme makeover. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I feel like Leatherface is operating under like just this is like the only life he's ever known, and he's just doing what he's supposed to do to like feed his family and protect them. It's not. I don't view him in the original as like this. Like, I need to go find someone to kill kind of killer. I just think he, I also always found him sympathetic in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I I see what you mean. I mean, Leatherface is an interesting kind of jumping off point for Claire, because you're right. Something we talked about a lot was how presentation is Claire's way of kind of, even when she's out of the wigs, there's something about the way that she's, dressed and how put together she is that it's about sort of crafting an identity because maybe maybe this is my interpretation and I'm sure you've heard a lot of weird interpretations of this movie at this point but that because she doesn't necessarily know who she is she has created a Claire mask as well and a lot of that has to do with just being so put together yeah I completely agree with that I think she yeah that's like her needing that that's like armor and yeah i don't think she knows who she is when I, so i've been asked questions about like her sexuality and stuff like that i'm like i don't think she has any idea there's no way i right. know right um, like she's right. way too repressed in every way to be to, to know herself like that right i mean all my theory is is it's like a connection to her mother a little bit no you can tell me if i'm again i might be tinfoil hatting i do that so this actually goes into my next question. So I'll kind of combine these, which is we, we have to talk about the costume in this movie. As yes. a vintage nerd, I was in heaven with everything that Claire put on her body. The 70s vintage wardrobe is good. And we have some theories about it. My theory was that she we see her looking at photo albums of her mother and that her mother kind of presented this as a, a fellow stylist. Presentation was important to her and that's her sort of emulating yeah. and collect connecting with her mother but I, I wanted to that's my headcanon so I wanted to know uh, from you why what made you go this route with the costuming well I wish it was as deep as her mother <laughs> um, uh, well it started with the it also became inspired from the color yellow that that like mustard yellow she's always wearing which wore the short it's a great color which the decision to do that in the short was not nearly as inspired as it then it ended up becoming like I knew I decided that's what she's gonna wear in the short 
and design the opposite character to be op like opposite on the color wheel. And then when it came to the feature, I realized like the the era wasn't really about anything other than the idea of wanting to make Claire like stand out everywhere she was, like to make her look like she's from another time. And mm -hmm. okay. So that she's you know, like you're like one of the films I'm really inspired by for this was May, but May is mm -hmm. like your obvious outcast. Like she's right. like clearly doesn't fit in when Claire dresses incredible. It's not like she's like, what is that person wearing? They're a freak. It's like, <laughs> it just really stands out because we designed the rest of the world like very modern and in cool colors. So she, so like not only her style, but her color palette would like be like this like sore thumb in the middle of a room. Um, mm -hmm. So it can, I think we went with the 70s because it all connected. The idea was like she lives in this house that was her grandmother's. Her mom grew up in this house. It's like she, everything in there is like, from all these generations of people and oh. uh, at the very end she definitely does do herself up exactly like her mother like she's completely even the fake version of Claire is gone at this point mm -hmm. but uh, the color was really just that it at the time Najara's hair was red and I was obsessed with it and it all just it went together and made sense Gotcha. And um, we also thought it was cool that what, like what if like the killer's world is like has this warm color palette. Everything else yes. is cold, so that you like her, like you're supposed to be on her side, and you know, it's her story. So we're not trying to make you scared of her or or hate her or dislike her. So it felt like even in in her lair which would normally it's still disturbing and scary but it's like warm like it's just solid gold lighting and yes like it's her safe space and yeah we just lean to me like her the other character olivia from like a metaphorical standpoint is like the anti claire she's like her double yeah and so it started with designing her opposite like her main color is purple the rest of her colors are cool and surrounding that mm -hmm. and modern and she dresses in more like loose stuff and we extended that into the whole world so like when claire's walking down the street or in the coffee shop or anywhere that's not her life is she really stand would stand out we try to make yeah. the salon like a mix of those things but honestly our costume designer hallie sharp i don't even know how we how we accomplished this wardrobe. I, yeah. I sent her all these pictures of like my dream stuff, which is like a mixture of like 70s and like clueless era, which I grew up uh -huh. in that stuff. Like, uh -huh. sure. I mean, I can so, like, see that with the, the knee socks yeah. and stuff. And the yeah, plaid yeah, skirt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just love, I have so much of it at my house and I just am in love with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great aesthetic. It and, really is. Yeah, I was thinking very earthy colors, very warm, very earth mother. And so I think maybe that's where I made my logic leap. <laughs> that's so great. I mean, the costumes are so beautiful. And I love what you said about it having her stand out. Because so often killers are the grimy ones in the cooler tones. And uh, yeah. I think you're right that having her in these warmer tones and being so elegant and beautifully put together does lend itself to having you empathize with her more. I think that's really interesting. So we have a ton of affection for really complicated women in film. 
who have both good and bad parts in them. It's one of our favorite things that we see. And here, even though Claire is a serial killer, (laughs) there are moments in this film where we found ourselves really empathizing with her and her situation. What were you hoping that audiences would feel for Claire? That is it. And have you, you just made me think, have you guys read House of Psychotic Women? Like no, Kayla. Oh. Kayla she spells her name. Down. She spells her name. Kayla is like K I E R dash L A. Her last name is J A N I S S E. She writes. She's written a lot of books. She just put out her first documentary. She's also like headed up tons of the big film festivals in the world. Awesome. But oh, okay. she wrote this book called House of Psychotic Women that is specifically about female neurosis in horror and exploitation films. And, oh, she, that's right and she combines in her, that. <laughs> combi- she somehow does this, but at the same time, like telling her autobiography and then connecting these portions of her life to these films and like what they mean. It is the most incredible book, but yeah, co- completely just about women, like losing their mind and f- films, which that's like, like everything from like Black Swan to like Carrie, mm-hmm. the stuff mm-hmm. you've never heard of. Um, but yeah, I love that kind of stuff. And I love characters that are like, that confront your idea of like what's, you know, like if you can just easily call someone a monster or, or right. you know, it's not, it's not that, it's not that simple. Yeah. Even though we try to do that to real people all the time. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> very good point. I mean, it's an extension of our, we enjoy women behaving badly. I'm also just fascinated by the interiority of women in general. And one of the reasons I think I connected so much with this is because I found my, I mean, I wanted to solve the mystery of Claire. I, I never really felt like I totally did, which is great. But that was a very compelling and driving force while I was watching it, was really trying to unpack who this person is. And I love anytime a movie invites me to do that because I, I love complicated female characters. That's, oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> So what was interesting, though, is we watched all of your short films, <laughs> but of, of course we watched The Stylist, and uh, which this movie was based on, and the main character in that was somewhat different than the Claire in this feature film. She seemed like she had a lot less social anxiety, and I was wondering what made you decide to take it that route with the film, where she feels more like she's having interactions with her fellow stylist who's going out on a date or whatever. And I can't picture the Claire as I got to know her in the film, having that kind of comfortable banter. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a lot that we had the time to develop her so much more. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, not just like me and the Eric, there's two Eric's that I wrote this with. I don't know how yeah. it became only people named Eric were allowed to write on. <laughs> um, Eric's only. <laughs> um, but also Najara, since she's been involved since we made the short and has been reading like every version of the thing we wrote and also developing Claire's background with me. And mm. when we could spend so much more time with her, one of the biggest things, and this isn't really about how either the anxiety but we removed there was some scarring on her neck in the short film yes i wondered about the scarring that we decided to take out yeah we just realized the and it was helpful to like we learned from the reaction to the short film that everyone focused on that so much and it became all about the physical which i understand that's going to be a part of the film no matter what because it's about the beauty Mm -hmm. industry 
and you know our strive for perfection all the time but I realized like with her repeating what the client had said like I want to look perfect and then the scar it became like so seemed like only about the outside and I was like for me this character is all about what's going on inside her not actually about trying to cover something up that's on the outside and so I just re wanted realized we wanted to take that away because it I felt like it it made what we're trying to say shallow like it took right. it it covered it all right. up um but yeah we just had way more time to develop claire and i mean najar even uh, journaled as her for oh, a long wow. time wow you know, najar does a thing that i learned from her and i i created a couple but i know she did more but not just like a, a general background like who was her family, where were they where they live, all those kind of things, but like also specific memories. Um, because that's really she which I'm using her words, but like that's what we all are is like a collection of memories and those things like just you know, form how we make decisions later or like, you know, like specific moments form us like or traumatize us or whatever it is. So it's more about these specific memories than it's just like her mom was this person, her dad was the you know, like that kind that's great. I learned from her. Yeah, that's so interesting and so amazing that she had such commitment to the role and you guys were able to collaborate that way on sort of the interiority of the character. It's really cool. And I think it shows in the movie because you really do feel like you understand Claire's emotional state. One of the scenes that I was hoping we could talk about is the scene in the film where Claire masturbates on Olivia's bed after she's broken into her home. So I really appreciated how much information you get about Claire's state of mind in this scene. And we always think it's really great. Also, when you get to see female pleasure on screen, because we see so little of it. Can you talk about why you decided to include this scene in your movie? <laughs> so little, so little people ask me about this. Yeah. Scene. So I think people are afraid oh, to ask okay. about the uncomfortable scene. <laughs> um, but it kind of started, I don't know if this sounds, makes me sound weird, but um, it started as like, I wanted to figure out a way to go deeper into how just, how um, far off <laughs> the trail Claire has gone, how, um, how desperate she mm -hmm. is at this point i wanted to find out a i wanted a scene even before i realized what how where she'd be emotionally and another scene in the film that could like intensify the film the movie without it being another yeah. kill like yeah. something like a really tense scene is like really uncomfortable yeah. and not not because it's female masturbation but because it's specific of the scene yeah because uh, i definitely am not trying to say there's anything awkward about that of course um but it yeah started there and then you know once the film developed more and we realized it was going to be about her you know focusing on one person and obsessing and it getting darker and darker it just seemed like this really um extreme and uncomfortable and intense way to show Claire trying to connect with this person or, yeah. or feel what this person feels in a different way than she normally does. 
Yeah. yeah. That's great. I knew it could be, it would be interpreted in a lot of different ways. So I was real. I had to just like let go of that because I can't control right. how it's interpreted. But I knew right. sure. people are going to interpret like, does this, does she want to be with her or want right. to be her? There's so many questions. And anyway, honestly, any interpretation works. But yeah, for for me, it was like her trying to feel what she feels in a moment like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about that a little bit last night. And I was thinking it Claire is kind of this voyeur on the periphery of Olivia's life and wants in so badly. And it's a way for her to be connected to her in the most intimate way not necessarily like you said i don't know that there's sexual attraction between them but what is more intimate than that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think it's such a powerful scene and it's done in a way that is so i mean it's physical but you're so psychologically tapped into her in that moment and trying to interpret what she's feeling and why she's doing the things she's doing also we were laughing about how while this was happening, we were like, get out. You're going to ruin your chance of being friends with her. <laughs> Which yeah. is insane. <laughs> but that's how bought into the Claire character we were <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So as I said, we have also been, we've watched all of your short films and are huge fans. And because of that, <laughs> I want to pitch you on something. Basically, this is a fangirl dream I'm trying to manifest right now, which is like the stylist, we would love to see you adapt Call Girl into a feature film. Um, oh, really? Yes, yes. We had an idea. We we're thinking she's like an avenging demon hunting people on the dark web. During the day, she's just trying to balance her everyday, you know, normal demon girl life. But at night, she goes into the darkest places and hunts in the the darkest web for the people and tracks down web predators. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I love it. Okay. So we, Eric uh, Eric Haven wrote that my one of my collaborators and um we have uh, like toyed with the idea. There's like one feature he started writing and then recently i was like what if it was what if it could almost be a series of her doing that to different people um, yes that would be great oh we would <laughs> We're love on the that. same page <laughs> <laughs> we also love tristan risk we've loved her ever since uh, american mary she was so great Me too. In that. oh my god so I mean, it was it's really just, fun when she showed up in it she's like legit unrecognizable in American Mary. Yeah. Right. Very right. true. <laughs> so I know we're a little over time. Do you have time for a couple more questions or would you like to wrap up? That's totally fine if you have somewhere else you need to be. Yeah, I can do a couple more. Okay, let's just do a okay. couple really quick ones. Okay, yeah. So we both found your story of becoming a director so inspirational. One of the things we do on our podcast is do sort of a deep dive into the background of the directors we're covering, and we always learn so much and are so inspired by the stories. So do you have any advice for young women who want to direct but maybe feel like they can't or that it's not even an option for them? Yeah. Um, honestly, I think one of the biggest things is like getting over – being a- afraid of what you don't know because mm. even like with any project kind of I feel like just have to 
like accept that there's tons that you don't know until you start the process. Like I didn't know anything about filmmaking until I made Call Girl. And with every project, I learned like so much more. And like I didn't go to film school or anything or have any idea even what a producer does or what's the difference between a producer and a director. Um, wow. So it's more just about like, admit like it's okay to be a like to be like afraid of it because you don't know what the hell it is i think that's the difference between anyone who like tries something and doesn't is just doing it anyways and like even with a feature i was always so nervous about finally getting it like when i actually was able to do that like how the hell would i take on something so big and like when it came down to doing it realizing like, well, like you just have to do it to figure out like I for so many years, I didn't want to make the leap into a feature, especially if we couldn't like secure like a real budget. Right. And I, I knew like. I didn't know that we could do like if we did a Kickstarter, if <laughs> I understand how much money it takes to even like finish a short film. And right. But I just so much of it is just accepting like that fear, I think, and just going with it because. You don't have to do like none of us do this alone. It's just a matter of like taking it step by step and finding, you know, the group of people you want to do it with. I love that. That's so inspirational. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. That's so. I mean, because yeah, I mean, I we read your story about how you just met some directors and you're like people, <laughs> and the, that yeah. takes guts. That takes balls. And uh, yeah, I I love stories like that. It's really inspirational. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to know that you can still try these things even if you haven't gone to film school. I mean, yeah. we, like we said, we watched all of your shorts and they're all very confidently made and beautiful. Yeah. And so I think it it's important for people to see that you really can do something even if you don't have you know the degree or whatever yeah. from a fancy school. Yeah. And my biggest trick is working with people that like you're intimidated by that are really good and already know what they're doing oh. and you learn from them <laughs> that is <Right>? very smart <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so can you tell us about any future projects you have in the works i am um, i'm working with the the duo that wrote um film that came out a couple years ago a fangoria put it out called porno did you guys see oh, that it's like a yes, horror I comedy <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm working with them on a film, something they wrote. It's a Matt Black and Lawrence Vanicelli. Um, something that's not nearly as comedic. Well, I don't. I wouldn't really call it comedy. It's a straight like horror, supernatural thriller. Oh, and it's very, uh, very female focused. In my, when I read it, I was like, "How did two men write this and know what this is like?" <laughs> so I was like blown away that's by. So cool these specific experiences this main character goes through kind of dealing with um a just that kind of person that doesn't under you know as a woman I feel like a lot of us experience what it's like to have a friend that doesn't understand that it's never going to be more than that and oh sure yeah it's kind of playing into playing on the incel thing and oh scary that's scary it's pretty cool yeah it's scary for real that's why i was like how do you guys know what this is like this is like scary for real <laughs> yeah oh that sounds yeah, really exciting. that sounds really great and we're just so excited to see anything else you did because like totally. we said we love totally. the stylist mm -hmm. and we love how all of your shorts too are horror 
Mm-hmm. I mean, so often that's not always the case. And I think that's really cool and that you focus so much on the experiences of women. So we're excited to see what you do yeah. next. Yeah, it sounds like there's like a little bit of 42 Counts vibe in this. So uh, yeah. yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> awesome. This has been so much fun. Thank you so, so much time for being so generous with your time. Thank you. Uh, we are huge fans of your work. We, like Ariel said, we cannot wait to see what you do next, whatever it is, opening day, we're going to be there. <laughs> Can you tell people who want to follow along so that they know when things are coming out or how, how to best get their eyeballs on Stylish, where they can find you online? Yes. Um, please follow the stylist at the stylist film on all Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and me at Jill six. And I also have a website, six tape.com, which yes. reminds me, I need to definitely update the hell out of that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have too many things I have to do on my own. I don't know oh. how the hell to keep up. With it all. <laughs> the hustle of the indie filmmaker is <laughs> No joke. <laughs> yeah, you're like your own social media, your own. It's like, I get why that's oh, wow. just one job by itself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you're obviously doing something right. So, again, congratulations on the stylist. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so All right, Joel, this has been great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You. You'll come back next time you're, you're not going to come back. You have an open invitation anytime. You thank are you so great. much. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and to my co-host and good friend, Ariel, for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode is done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Sharp.